my definition is it's the meaning people attach to you and your offer. Branding is the attempt to manage that meaning. And one way that we manage the meaning is we define it, define what we want people to attach to us, and then we apply it to our marketing and look and feel. But that's just one. There's loads of other components to this. Welcome to the Brand Master Podcast, show specialized in helping branding professionals and entrepreneurs to build brands using strategy, psychology, and creative thinking. Okay, so welcome to the Brand Master Podcast, and I'm delighted to say I have my very first guest, the one and only Mr. Matt Davies. Now, uh, for those of you who do not know Mr. Matt Davies, he is a brand strategist, brand consultant. He flies all over the world and talks to brands and builds brands using strategy and culture. And yeah, so that is Mr. Matt Davies, mate. Welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Stephen, thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's an honor to be your first guest. I hope, uh, I hope we set the bar high. That's my ambition for, for today. That is my ambition too. And, and I was, uh, for those who don't know, I was on uh, Just Branding Podcast. Matt is one of the hosts of Just Branding Podcast. And Matt was absolutely surgical with his questions. So I'm going to try and do the same today. He squeezed your own back. He squeezed the value out of me like a juicer. So I'm going to try and do the same. So, <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah, let's, uh, let's dive into it, mate. Now the, the, I, I'm kind of fascinated with, with your journey um, because it, it kind of aligns to a lot of designers up until a point and then it becomes a little bit more unique. So you, became a designer like the, the rest of us, but then you, you built a, a, an agency, you quickly built that up, and then you went on to sell that agency. Um, talk us through how you went from a designer to selling an agency with, with over 12 people. Were there over 12 people in the agency? Tell us a bit about that. Um, so, uh, okay, so... Uh, Let's, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible because I'm getting old now. So every time someone asks me this, like it gets longer, right? And you yeah. feel like you're Alice in Wonderland a little bit still. Um, so, okay, so I grew up in London in the UK, um, worked at some agencies in London, um, moved to Nottingham to get married, which is like in the Midlands uh, of, uh, where, of Nottingham, where Robin Hood was, right? Heartbeat of England. Um, <laughs> and um, worked again for some agencies in Nottingham. And then decided, I think I was about, I'm, I'm, I'm about 35 now, right? Let you into a secret. But I think I was about 23 or something. Perhaps I was quite a cocky 23-year-old. I don't know. But I thought, right. There, there were certain things that happened where I thought, um, oh, that was right. I was, I, I'd started my own blog, right? And this was back in the day when blogs were not a thing really yet. And my mates used to call me... Um, uh, matitude, right? Just because I've got this weird attitude to life. So I, for did some you reason, I, I didn't. Did you self-brand yourself? <laughs> well, no, no. I, I didn't want to go that far. Um, my mates did it. Uh, what, what, what I, but I quite like the word attitude. So I started this blog called Attitude Design, right? And started putting on my portfolio and, you know, uh, whatever, uh, blogging and stuff. And whilst I was working at an agency, right? And mm -hmm. I started to get all these inquiries through from people who, um, who were looking at my stuff. And in fact, bizarrely, we became, uh, the blog became number one in the world at that point wow. for the search phrase graphic, graphic design, right? So there's little Matt Davies, 23, 
didn't have a beard then, right? Couldn't grow a beard. Um, and um, some might say still can't, but you know, I do my best. But yeah, so, um, so I started, uh, started to get all these inquiries in. And what I would do is I'd go to the account manager who I worked closely with at the agency and I'd say, look, um, this person's inquired. Um, would we be interested? The agency say, well, get back to them, say, yeah. So then I go back to this client and say, oh, I, I can't do it direct, but here's, you know, the, this account manager, speak to him. The account manager would get the quotes, send them through. And I think the agency, they were, they were relatively big for this area. And they were, we were doing work with like Fred Perry globally and some really cool brands. I think they were more, um, they were, they were kind of like, they probably were just like, this is Matt, you know, little Matt, you know, he's a junior designer or whatever. But as, as time went on, I started to look at, what revenue this was building up. And I just thought, do you know what? I said to my wife one day, I think we could, I think, I think I could do this, right? Like I could do a quote, like it's not that hard. Um, and I was seeing all the money, you know, the money side of it, but then I was basically managing the projects and then doing the projects because these people would come through the internet for me. So cut long story short, we decided to jump, saved up like six months of my, of my mortgage money and was like really excited and we jumped and then I never had to eat into that six months, made a profit from day one, was so thankful uh, for that. Um, and then, yeah, grew a, grew a little company over about nine years um, here in Nottingham. And uh, yeah, we, we, we punched way above our weight. We were doing stuff with Boots, uh, the chemist, which is quite a big uh, kind of uh, pharmaceutical chemist over here. Um, we did stuff for Nikon. We did stuff for Specsavers. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty great pretty fun um but the business side was a nightmare like because and i'm sure a lot of our your listeners will be in this scenario it's kind of like feast or famine like if you it's very hard to get retainer or stability very hard in the creative industries i managed to get a few and that allowed us to expand but i'd got no business training nothing right i was on the edge of my seat most of the time um and had a great time but after nine years, I was like burnt out. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't chase another pitch again. I can't be doing this. And there were certain things in the industry that, that really frustrated me. And, and um, I can get into that at some stage. Anyway, the point is, is that whilst I was doing that, um, one, of the, um, one of the key things that we struggled with um, as a creative, and a, we were basically focused on design. One of the main things that we struggled with was, was with backwards and forwarding with clients, I called it. Like, so... Mm-hmm. The client would send, well, the client send a brief. We'd do what we thought was right, send it to the client. Client would say, no, try again. So we'd have to start again and then do it again. And then basically clients operated under this, uh, I realized under this psychology of we, if we don't like it, we'll let you know. But if we do like it, that's great. Um, So, but we can't tell you what we, what we really want until we see it. So it's like, oh. That's great. Um, so anyway, cut, cut a long story short, um, we started doing workshops and um, I l- fell in love with workshops, found I had a, uh, a kind of a secret skill that I never knew I had. Maybe I'm a bit of a performer. <laughs> You've probably seen a bit of that. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I love um, the energy of being in the moment and um, some designers freak out about that. Like I mm. totally get that. Some designers like to, to to sit in their rooms and do their work, but I just loved getting out, seeing clients, making them laugh, making them cry sometimes um, in a good way, um, you know, and that <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I enjoyed the, that emotional thing. So, as creative director of my agency, like that was kind of my role to get out there, make the sales often, then also work on the consultancy basis with them, um, and then bring the great briefs back to my team. Anyway, 
also during that time to add value to these workshops, what I realized was, was I had to read, right? So I read shed loads of books, still do. Mm. And um, I love reading books. I find it, you know, fascinating, the ideas that we can glean from others. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, so I learned a lot about brand then and I built these brand workshops out and a lot of the stuff that you do at, uh, at Brandmaster Academy, not, not everything, mind. Um, I'm sure you've got one or two things way over and above what, 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 what my poor brain can, uh, can handle. But, you know, all that stuff around how you, how you basically structure a workshop, what you put in the workshop, what problems you solve for leadership teams, I kind of learned in the fire, right? You know, mm. you just got to throw yourself out there. Anyway, yeah. then um, I was burnt out. I sold the agency uh, 2016, went to work for a much bigger agency who basically bought my little agency off of us, off of me uh, and my wife. My wife left the business because um, it was both of us together. I then worked for this big agency, was their creative director. Um, they were a digital marketing agency and I headed up their creative wing. And then um, after about a year and a bit of that, um, I, I was on their board. I was, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. Um, I then uh, was headhunted by Capital One in the UK, who are like a big finance company. And um, again, I was still quite tired in the agency world. Um, it's just like constantly chasing projects. And, you know, after a while, it's, I, I, I just started to get quite weary with it. Um, and managing people, I realized actually I wasn't, I'm okay at managing people. I can manage a team. But, you know, is that really where I want to be? You know, it takes you a long time to figure these things out. Um, anyway, headhunted by Capital One. Went and set, they wanted me to set up an agency in-house for, their, for, for them, um, which was an amazing opportunity. Great load of resources. The corporate coffee was good. Um, but the restrictions within the corporate function you know, was, were, were, were tough. But I enjoyed it, and I learned a lot. I did that for about a year as well. I, I, uh, the opportunities were great. I flew over to, they flew me over to Toronto to a design team over there. I worked with them for a bit and learned loads about organizational structure and how to manage brands for corporates and in from an in-house perspective. Um, and that was, that was a real eye opener. And then basically um, I was, um, I, I was kind of uh, put in a position where, where um, they had a complete rethink about their whole design team. And there was about 50 or 60 people in their design team. And so basically there was um, a number of opportunities to, to, to take, to take a to take my leave, if you like, um, so I I basically left and uh, took took that opportunity um, and found I mean the corporate life was getting getting to me a little bit to be frank, and I I I was then kind of like on my own and I was like well what on earth this is about two years ago what on earth do I do now right I've done agency built agency sold agency I've run agency I've I've gone in house there wasn't there wasn't a lot else I could do. So I, I, um, I had a few people contact me and say, look, Matt, would you come join us um, some other agencies? And Capital One paid very nicely, very handsomely, um, being honest. Um, and so when I'd sort of talk about wage expectations, people would like fall off their chairs. So that was a problem because I, I was basically unemployable. So then mm. what happened was um, they said, well, why don't you come on and just freelance for us on this one like, project rather than come and join our whole team? Why don't we just use you for this? So I started thinking about that. I went back to my wife and I said, love, I think I'm going to do this. And she's like, no, remember the stress of running a company and managing people and sales. And I was like, well, look, this is, this is the deal. I'm not going to employ anyone. 
And I'm going to read a shed load of books on how to actually do this business stuff properly. So she said, fine. So, um, so, as long as you don't so, employ someone. So, so that's, so that's how, uh, so in terms of, of your relationship with brand strategy and, you know, you mentioned falling in love and that's, it's kind of, it, you know, that definitely resonates with, with me as well, because for me, it was just like, you know, this, this thing that, you know, I got a taste of and I wanted more and more and more. And, and uh, my um, relationship with strategy has, has been exactly what you've mentioned there, been about books. It's been about research. Is, is Obviously, that's how you uh, cut your teeth with strategy. And then it was really about pioneering uh, something from you. You weren't handed a framework. You weren't handed the systems and the processes you had to figure all of that out for yourself. So, you know, what was that like? Was, was that basically trial and error? Um, you know, how did you, how did you form those processes over time? Well, firstly, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, for all the listeners out there, um, you know, that's why there's huge value in something like Brand Master Academy that you set up because that stuff didn't exist. Like it was in books and also not very accessibly in books. Like I remember reading some really You had to decode them. Books. Yeah. And, yeah. And also it's like, there might be a book like, here's a, here's a great book. Let me show you this book, right? Have you seen this book, The Hero and the Outlaw? I don't know yes. if you've seen this book, yes. but this yes. book talks about my, one of my favorite uh, tools, which is archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. but, and I love this book. I'm literally in love with this book. Like you can see I've got all this stuff. And th but this book, right? And this is quite, it's, it's, it's kind of heavy for a designer to read. Like a designer wouldn't pick this book up and go, oh, do you know what? I'm going to read that book because there's no pictures in it, right? Mm. And some of the concepts in it are quite, quite heavy. And that book is a great book, but it doesn't then teach you how to get information from it and apply it, for example, in a workshop or in a framework, right? You've got to kind of figure some of that stuff out from, from the book yourself. So how did that happen? Well, I think what it was, Stephen, to be honest, I, I would look at everything from the perspective of solving a problem, and I still do. And I think as designers, our brains are actually wired in such a way that we have a huge advantage over a lot of the business world if we just apply our brains to business rather than creating you know, a leaflet or a website or a, you know, a banner stand or something, right? If you took the same principles as you do to create something like that, like a piece of artwork, if you take that and you apply it to a business problem, right, it's basically the same thing. So what do I do? We find the problem, first of all. Um, sometimes that's hard because sometimes you've got to do some exploration to find the problem. And then you've got to figure out, well, how do I bring everybody on the journey to the future of, of, of solving that problem? So we imagine a better future. So we're here in the present. We imagine the better future, which we're great at doing as being creatives. We really picture that in our minds. And then what we do as designers, we're in a great place to design the way forward. And if you can explain to a CEO, right, okay, you're here with me. This is the problem, which we've agreed. That's the future where that problem no longer exists. And this is how I can, I can begin to take you on a journey. And these are the steps and the stages. Um, what you then find is that um, people, you might not know all the intricate details, but at least if you can give phases or give exercises in a workshop, for example, and say, look, once we've done this exercise, we're going to know this. Mm -hmm. People love it. Um, and particularly CEOs who perhaps have major problems or business leaders because they, you know, you build 
you build trust, you build, and particularly if you can say, well, I did this last week, you know, and here's an example of how we solved that problem with this company. Yeah. That then, you know, oh, my days, they love it. So that's kind of what I started to do. I'd be in a workshop, I don't know, and I'd find one of the biggest problems that I, I still believe that, um, that I kind of get wheeled in to solve is this question of leadership alignment, right? Mm. If you've got a leadership team of a big or a small company, like I did some work a month or so back with Nestle, who are huge, right? And I work with, but I also work with startups, right? So the, the gamut of, of, of kind of businesses, you find that there's always a, a group of people at the top, always, right? And the synergy between those people will determine the success or failure of whatever it is they're trying to do. So what, you, what, what sometimes they struggle with is the, the questions of brand, which are, you know, the, the, the beautiful questions that, that, that you advocate, you know, and um, that, that, that we talk about all the time as strategists. Some of the simplest ones, you know, what's our purpose? Why do we exist beyond making money? Who do we exist to serve? Why does it matter? Why are we different? You know, these are the questions that if leaders don't all align around, the, the business can become very um, almost like split personality because one leader is taking the concepts off into one direction and the other has a different view and taking it in a different direction. And it's, it's amazing how many businesses don't take the time to sit down and solve and answer these questions together. They might have it in their own heads, which is great for them. But if they don't do it and, and align the parallel think it through, then, then they have these these splits and splinters start to appear and then if they don't get stuck together in 10 years time man the whole business has got 15 different brands and you know they're operating 18 different categories and no one understands how anything fits together and they can't recruit anyone you know you know the so, so, so i would i would imagine then based on 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 what you've said there that you know if you're dealing with a startup uh you know the types of questions that you would be asking would be uh, you know, around about positioning, you know, how they are positioned in the marketplace and what makes them different and, you know, why they're the only X in whatever category. Whereas if you're dealing with uh, kind of a Nestle or, or, you know, a higher level brand, then, you know, it's more about synergy and alignment because, you know, they're, they're, the, the line is already drawn in the sand and really you're not trying to recreate anything there. You're trying to get everybody pulling in the same direction. Would that be would that be right? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously every situation is different. I think with bigger brands that are already established, you're right. Like they're massive ships, you can't just turn them real quick, right? You have to if you if they want turning, and sometimes they need turning. Sometimes they want to differentiate themselves. You 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 know, it takes a lot more convincing, if you like. You got to do a lot more research. Um, you got to tap into their systems. Um, and you've got to help them with that. Um, but with with smaller brands, it's it's um, it can also be equally as challenging because a lot of smaller brands they want to be like somebody else, mm -hmm. so they look up to everybody around them. And you know, as you say, then they don't they they can fall into the trap of uh, of sameness very quickly because they want to be like you know their you know whoever it is in the market that they perceive as being the the, the biggest cheese. The the best sort of approach is you know with differentiation is 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 kind of what well it's kind of difficult it, it depends well i guess what i'm going to say is i'm going to gabble gabble a little bit here i'm going to say it depends on the leader that i'm working with that's okay. that's the truth depends yeah. on what they want to do what they want to achieve um but going back to the the point that we were going to i was making earlier it depends so it depends on what they want to achieve and it depends what blockers are in the way 
depends on how I would then go and I'd go and read a book. Like I do it now. Where was I? I was reading this book. So I'm working with a client at the moment and they're talking about, they'd started on a process of what they called servitization, right? Which is where they're a manufacturing client. And um, what you do is you add services to your product like training or mm-hmm. I don't know, um, maintenance, for example, yep. might be a service and you build value around your manufactured product. Mm-hmm. So they, they kept, they'd started on this process and um, they're talking about servitization. I'm thinking, I understand the principles of this, right. In, you know, intellectually, but not the depth. Right. So I'm like, what book, are you, what book are you taking this from? And they tell me this book. So off I go and I buy the book and I take the time. And I think that's a consultant. That's the important thing. You, you're always learning things. And I'm taking this book and I'm looking at it critically. And I, I basically have gone back to them and said, I, I don't actually think this is quite right for us for these reasons. You know? And so suddenly, like, and, and half of them haven't read the book, but they're, they're sort of quoting it. So a lot of people, when they're running a business, they, 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 they think they need to do things. The truth is your job as a strategist is to help make sense of it and make sure it is the right thing for them. Um, and you can only sometimes do that by learning stuff yourself and, and being open to that. So that's my approach. Well, to, all, uh, always with- by, always by learning stuff yourself. And, and I think that, you know, you, you've, you've definitely touched on, you know, a philosophy of, of, of mine, which is, you know, uh, never think that you've arrived, you know, you, you're, you're always, you're always learning. And, and, you know, whenever you have an opportunity to learn, from somebody else, whether they've taken the time to put it into a book or to put it onto a podcast, you know, if you're able to take something away and apply that to your own processes, then you're better for it. But in, in terms of the, the the workshops which you mentioned earlier, now, you know, I've seen videos of you presenting to to groups, and yeah, you you've got a spark, you've got you know uh, something that a lot of designers don't have. A lot of designers tend to be introverted, um, you know. They, they don't necessarily have those skills. That's not to say that they can't develop them. Um, but in terms of your workshops, you're very much in-person workshops. Take control of the room. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your process? You know, how long does it take you in terms of, I know that everyone is the same, but just give me an, an overview of, of your framework in terms of your structure. I know that you break it down in, in terms of of problems and that's how you how you approach it how, can you tell me a little bit about your 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 process so Stephen, you're gonna hate this part of the podcast because because i have a no process process which you're gonna love so so bear with me on this one okay, okay. i just want to intro i want to intro this a little bit um <laughs> from 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 my perspective so i think when i was in agency running my agency we spent a long time packaging frameworks and processes, which you have to do to some extent, particularly when you're in an agency, particularly when um, you want to estimate. Well, my view is, is a lot of people do that because they want to package something like a product so, so clients understand what they're going to get. And they like to, to do it so that they can work out, roughly speaking, how many hours it might take and so that they can scale it and replicate it which is amiable and noble and respectable. And that's everything there is great. However, the truth is, this is the hard truth now, guys. So, you know, this is where I get thrown off of Stephen's own podcast. The truth (laughs) is reality, reality is different, right? When you're in the jungle, stuff happens, right? That you, that you have no, 
have no control over. A lion jumps out, you know, a gorilla throws something at you. Who knows? But the point is, is that if you are in a very rigid system or process that you have sold in and you rely on X hours to do X service um, because you, you know, that's how you operate and the lion jumps out and you've got to take a detour, um, that becomes a problem for you, right? Um, the client doesn't care because they, they think that they're buying the end result. Mm-hmm. But if, if you've sold them a process, a rigid process to get to that end result and you're hanging on to this process, they don't care about the process. They want the, the end result. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I learned uh, you know, quite heavily you know, from experience. So I don't know if this is too abstract talking about lions and stuff, but I guess, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, is let's say, say we're, we're starting visual. a project. We're all visual. We can all visualize that scary line. But let's say, let's say we're going through a project, I don't know, and we're in a, a leadership workshop, first one, you've never met these people before, um, and you, you happen, they're all piling in, or you're on Zoom or whatever, and um, there happens to be um, somebody who really doesn't get it, right, who's constantly um, not sure, arms folded, silent, you have to tease out information from them, and they're very sort of uh, you know, negative about it. Right now. And maybe let's say you in your rigid process, you've got three of these workshops to do with them right now that you've got a problem because if that person's not on board and you can't convince them within the workshop, you know, and you then do the second workshop and they come in and they do the same thing, they can derail the whole process. Right mm-hmm. now, if you are, have an element of flexibility in uh, your processes you can decide, you know, possibly, depending on how you've arranged things, to phone that person or to have a quick call with them um, after the workshop and confront them with, listen, you know, we were doing this workshop and, you, you know, I got a sense that you weren't kind of completely on board, like what, what was happening. So but you to, to get to that confidence level, to get to that level, you have to completely, you know, frame things differently. And then you might find when you speak to them, oh, that's because in our department, um, we already did this last week, you know, and then you're like, well, what did you do? And then you have to go into their department. You have to find out what was done. You know, you almost have to pause the main project to go off on a tangent to figure out what was going on over there to make sure you understand it so that when you get everybody back in the room, everything's, you know, it's smoothed over and you can understand where that person's coming from. Now, that's just a, a, a random, you know, example. But the point I'm trying to make here is rigid processes um, sometimes have their you know sometimes they work fine but mm-hmm. sometimes they have they have these problems so what when i look at when i sort of start an engagement with a client um i'm always looking to build in the maximum amount of flexibility because everybody's situation is different and every business is different um so when you talk about framework you know, I, I go by, a, you know, pretty much a lot of standard stuff, you know, purpose, vision, mission, um, you know, or you could reframe that why, how, who and what, you know, that kind of stuff, which is a, a, a sensible one I do just in terms of just simplifying thinking down. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the key for me is to deploy different, different frameworks in different circumstances. So, so I, don't I, have I, a I guess, I guess, I guess the, you see me, uh, when when I think about uh, strategy, um, you know, it's very important for me to to feel a sense of structure, um, mm. and that's why. Uh, oh, there's always structure. To, to use an analogy, you know, I would I would look at point A and point B, and I would have the beaten track 
to get from A to B. And what you're saying is that you have the tools in your arsenal to take out your machete and go out to the left a little bit if you need to, but you still have this overarching framework to get from point A to point yeah. B. And you would use, you would use uh, typically exercises within your workshops to focus on specific problems. So you would have, you know, problem A, B, C, D, E, F, G that you would like to typically address within a workshop so you can develop a strategy and you would use exercises to extract what those problems are. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. All my stuff is always done with leadership teams mm. and we do exercises. Often there's research beforehand as well, like a lot of research, because when you go into uh, a leadership meeting, you need to know your, your P's and Q's. You've touched on an important point and it's, it's, a, it's a question that's probably two or three down and we may not get there. So I want to pull this one up here <laughs> and, and jump in with that. So, so you're talking about research and one of, the, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was you know, the, the idea of you know, reach, research and analysis based on human understanding versus deep analysis. And there's also the question in there of the discovery session versus the workshop session. So at what point do you kind of look at what you need to discover from them, what you need to, to go away and research, and then how much information do you want going, uh, do you want to be armed with going into your workshop? Do you see what I'm asking there, the yeah. structure of, of the discovery versus the research versus the workshop? How does that work for you? So, so a lot of my engagements, mainly when you're at the start of a project, you need to do what I call is brand definition, right? We need mm -hmm. to define, you know, the key constructs of the brand. That's the, the main strategic element. And there's two parts to that you're absolutely right. There is what we think and believe in our ambition, but there's also what does the market look like? You know, what's the realities? What do the customers think at the moment? And what, what would the customers think if we, if we pivoted or changed at all? So again, each client, very different, different information. Clients hold different data sets. Some have no data sets whatsoever. Um, I, being a lone sort of gunslinger, right? I think it adds huge, uh, you know, uh, benefits. And one of the things I would do early on before I even take a project is to ask these sorts of questions like, you know, what, what information do we have already, you know, f about our customers? Um, what information do we have, you know, uh, on what our leadership ambitions are? Do we have a, you know, um, um, like a, a commercial plan, a, a commercial strategy, a business strategy that we need to adhere to a board or, you know, a, a, you know, a load of stakeholders? And what does that look like? So you've got to get all of that basics in place. And if they don't have, uh, and if they have that stuff, often there's somebody within the business in marketing whose job it is to have kind of synthesized some of that information. So you can cut, you don't have to do all the analysis yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You can get, as a lone gunslinger, I will be saying, well, who put this together? Okay, Larry. Um, right, I want to meet him with Larry. Is that okay? Sorry, it's always Larry. Larry. To, right? It's always Larry. It's always Larry. <laughs> so, so, so poor Larry then finds himself on a two-hour Zoom call with Matt Davies, just grilling him on his numbers and, and kind of trying to get something, what, basically, that I can simplify everything, all that sort of data stuff, you've got to simplify into insights so that you and the leadership team have something of, of, of value when you're in a workshop situation that you can then pull on and use to help frame things or challenge things. So um, it's about simplification. Data by itself is useless. You know, your data is only as good as your insights. Another sort of angle in that discovery 
um, phase. And again, it depends on what the customers are like is, and I do get my hands dirty with this is to get out and, and talk to customers. They might have customer groups that you can access that you can speak to. Um, so I do, I will do interviews uh, myself or run workshops, uh, focus groups mm-hmm. myself. And again, you've got to know what you're looking for. T- kind of, you've got to try and uh, kind of get a feel for what do they think about the brand now? Who, what are their, if this brand didn't exist, what would your other go-to options be? Um, if you, you know, if you didn't know about us, what would you be Googling to solve this problem? You know, these mm-hmm. are all really important information. And then maybe then that would lead to me jumping on Google and, and pulling out a load of information. You're kind of in that, in that discovery. I, I call it the 3D. I've got a process. It's called the 3D process. Discovery, definition, delivery, right? So the discovery one is your listening mode. You're opening up possibilities. You're gathering um, information. Um, and, um, and yeah, the other great source I often find before we get into workshops, if you can do this, this is, I've found this a good tip for everybody is try and get, um, even just 15 minutes with every leader that's going to come into your workshop, just on the phone, just to introduce yourself. And then I always ask them, you know, what does success look like for you in this process? Super important because different people have different views of that. And they might be like, well, I'm in HR. So one thing I'd love is to know, um, you know, to have some information to help with our onboarding process. You're like, right, there's something going on over there. That's interesting. You know, so you kind of get a map of leadership ambition and where the market is, you do your market research, go off and find all the competitors, map them out visually, whatever you need to do. You get a picture. So when you enter that room or that that Zoom call um, and you're asking leaders, um, you know, why do we exist? You know, nobody in the company knows. (laughs) You guys have struggled with it and I understand there's some barriers. You also have in the backlog of your mind what the market's doing and you can pull on things to help help them with that. So what what I would do is um, I would would map all that out, do that discovery, um, but but as you say, there's a clear process. And, And usually what happens is I agree that with the sponsor of the project on a quarterly basis. So I, I, would, um, I would say to them, look, what do we, it seems to me the biggest thing that we need to do is, uh, is get a purpose and a vision statement that everybody's comfortable with, for example, if that's what they need. Um, give me, uh, you know, this quarter to nail that. And that requires me to do a shed load of research and then do a few workshops. Maybe one, might be four, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I work. And you pay me retainer and I just choose and, and apply myself. But at the end of this quarter, we'll have that nailed. And that's kind of how I operate. It's very loose. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes it requires me working 12 hour days, very rarely. Sometimes I just need to do three hours of on an afternoon a week. And that's it. I'm, I, I can admit to that, that contract. And that's but the I benefit, really- I suppose, that you have as a lone gunslinger, as you said, you know, you march to the beat yeah. of your own drum. Uh, you're able to adapt to, to each and every client and you know you're not restricted by a rigid process as you said well in just in in terms of how you then conclude so you you take the time to go through your discovery you take the time to do your research to get that background image of what the company looks like what the market looks like in the background you go into that room you hold these exercises and you extract all this information to really fill in the blanks and to illuminate you know, your already structured idea of, of what, what should be. And as you probably know, that can take many different directions. How then 
and, and I know a lot of designers struggle with this because, you know, the idea at that point would be that a designer would go, then go away, work on the visuals and work on the website. And that's not what you do. You don't get your hands dirty in any of that execution stuff. It's really only about the consultancy and yeah. delivery of that strategy. How does that uh, sit with clients? And do you, do you, do you ever see a, a disconnect there of, of where the client says to you, well, hey, you, you've done all this work. You're not actually going to go ahead and, and do the rest of it now. Tell me about that, uh, that, that tension there that I'm talking about. Okay. So, so I, um, right. Here's the thing that I realized, Stephen, over the years, and um, is that when you help a business solve these problems or align around these, these big questions, um, it's not just marketing or an execution or a tactical creative um, kind of output that's needed, right? Um, that's helpful for them. So if they know some of these core things, like let's take the values of a brand, right? Great. Marketing need to know that because they need to kind of present the, um, and, you know, and sales, marketing and sales, they need to present the brand in this way. You might have, um, you know, ops people, customer experience people, they need to know these principles so that they can pepper it throughout the customer experience. Um, HR need to know this because they need to recruit people who share these values and they need to build processes um, around these values in order to make sure that they stick and that the company is actually living them. Um, so what I found was, I started, I, it was some years ago now, but I found myself getting involved, even when I was running my agency, in some really weird situations. And I'd like, sometimes like pinch myself, like, what on earth am I doing? Presenting the brand strategy to a bunch of HR people, right? Or getting involved in um, designing um, what, what's called employee experience, right? So, so how do we onboard people? What are we you know, how do we recruit them? What's our recruitment look like? Job descriptions, what are we putting in there? What are we, what are we doing on day one, day 30, day 90? You know, how do we map that out? And I'm finding myself like, this is really weird. Like I'm a creative graphic designer and I'm, you know, yeah, I'm still applying design skills, but now I'm in HR and I'm working with all these strange HR people and they're all very polite and very lovely. But this is not the design world that I'm used to with funky people and, you know, in crazy flower shirts and skinny jeans. Like, where am I? What am I doing here? So what I realized anyway, sorry, I gabble, but what I realized in all that is that, is that once, once you can help business strategically and particularly leadership teams, there are more than one application of a brand, of a brand strategy than just the creative output of how that brand looks. Mm. It's not a veneer. We often say this, and if anyone hears me speak or anything, you'll know that I often say, like, your brand is not your logo, right? And you, mm -hmm. I know you believe this. It, 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 my definition is it's the meaning people attach to you and your offer. And branding is the game we're in. And I had this definition very early on. Branding is the attempt to manage that meaning. Mm -hmm. And one way that we manage the meaning is we define it, define what we want people to attach to us, and then we apply it to our marketing and look and feel. But that's just one. There's loads of other components to this. And I'm still trying to figure, to be honest, all of that out. And maybe a book will come out at some stage. But like, I'm thinking like there's, um, there's definitely a massive area in HR that I work on. There's an area in marketing. There's an area in customer experience. Um, there are even areas um, in, in leadership um, and training programs and stuff like that. So there's lots of things that, that you realize you're, you can add value to a business to, not just the design side. So that's point number one. 
And so I'm starting to dabble and explore that. So I become, I guess I'm becoming more of a business consultant than, than anything. And brand yeah. is like the Trojan horse that you mm-hmm. get into with. And then it's like, oh, there's a door, a half a jar over there. I'll go and push that door open and do some work over there. And that's how it kind of works. I've and built I, I, culture programs and all sorts. It's bizarre. I think, that's, I think that is the, the, the added advantage that we have um, as branding specialists because the, the word brand and branding, it's a double-edged sword. On one side, you have this uh, you know, misunderstanding of what it is in terms of design and logo. But on the other side, brand encompasses everything. Absolutely it is. everything. And as you said, if you use that approach as a Trojan horse, then it filters down into everything as well. So brand strategy includes everything. And, and this kind of leads into one of my final questions. I've got two more questions for you. Well, I, I know you're, you're early in your day. You've probably got a, a million things to, to jump into. But um, in, I know there are a lot of um, uh, designers or people transitioning into brand strategy who, who are held back by uh, their belief that they need to understand, uh, you know, how to execute Facebook ads or how to, how to do SEO so that they can have this, you know, really tactical approach to applying the brand strategy. And, you know, you are a successful brand strategist and consultant. What would you say to, to those people in terms of that, that um, because I know that you're not a Facebook ads expert. I know that you're not a Google ads Definitely expert and, and you don't feel that you need to be, you know, what would you say to, to a designer who has the, that, that thought process and, and what's the disconnect there? So um, why do we get paid? right, is a question I constantly ask myself. Why do I get paid? Money is the currency that we use to reward value, right? So if I value something that you're going to give me, I'll give you more money. If I don't value it, I'm not going to give you any money. So you get paid for adding value. The question, the, the question is interesting because what we're saying is, is, do we need to know everything to add value? Answer, no. What do we need to know then we need to know how to solve the problem that's it so i would say to designers look start small start mm-hmm. keep doing what you're doing right keep keep creating your websites your brochures your leaflets your your campaigns whatever it is for your for your client but start listening to bigger problems because i think we have as an industry have have a major issue in that and this is what i saw coming when i was running my agency like like we were making loads of money on, um, do you remember like the early days of like WordPress, right? I don't know if anyone here in, on the podcast understands what I'm talking about. I'm probably too old. I do, mate. But like I do. WordPress, when it first started, it was quite hard to set up a WordPress site, right? So my agency, we were, we were setting up lots of little websites on WordPress and, and we, were, we were earning an absolute fortune. Just like maybe have 10, like 10 little WordPress websites coming through the studio at any one time. So it was great day. The time was great. But then along the, 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 the track, I'm looking and I'm seeing Squarespace, Wix, and all these, these kind of um, platforms which allow clients to basically do it themselves. So now, you know, the thought of, of paying somebody a lot of money to set up a WordPress site, when WordPress itself, you can click a button and basically it sets it up for you, is, is now not a thing. So we've got some technical problems. Uh, you know, technology is becoming easier to, 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 for clients to do their own thing 
And design-wise, everybody thinks they're a designer. And mm -hmm. so design's becoming commoditized. So I think we need to ask, as designers, bigger questions. What problem are we actually solving? And if we can figure that out, then we can, then we can, then we can actually begin to orientate ourselves in that direction. So what I would say is start small, listen to what your customers are saying. And if you don't know everything, like you don't need to know everything, right? But you just need to help, you know, you need to help people solve problems. So research, do your reading, get, jump onto um, Brandmaster Academy, right? There's a little plug for you. And, um, uh, and listen, I, 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 to totally, uh, I, I totally agree what, with what you say. And, and to kind of illustrate your, your point, if you think about a business owner, um, you know, a business owner will have a complete journey. And that starts with this spark of idea to create a business and it will never stop as long as they continue to manage their business now if you're a designer you play a small part in that role and you play a small part in that journey to help them get from one step to the next the more parts that you can add to their journey the more value you give as you've rightly pointed out and even if you decide to provide brand strategy it does not mean that you need to provide the entire journey you're just no. providing a bigger segment of their overall journey. So I think that's, uh, it's pretty much what, right you, what you said. And, and, yeah. And <laughs> we can visualize that. I could, put a, I could put a slide <laughs> on that and animate it uh, on the, on the YouTube channel. But mate, I, I, I I've got uh, one more question for you to part on this one. Um, because I think, you know, uh, any designer listening to this, any aspiring strategist, uh, you know, uh, listening to this as, as, there's, there's such great value in this listening to someone from, uh, you know, your level of experience. And, you know, if, if you, if you, you know, had your younger self come to you looking for advice, uh, you know, maybe, maybe five to 10 years ago and, you know, they wanted to transition or, or at least start the journey into uh, strategy or, or to get to that level of consultant where they're no longer dealing with the, 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 the execution side of things they're helping businesses on a higher level, what, what would be one kind of tip that you would give them to, uh, to, to, that they can kind of take action on? So um, I've probably already said it, but I think I would say to myself, you need to read more, right? You need the vocabulary of the boardroom. You need to understand business um, better. I think in my younger days, I very much saw myself as a designer and I liked fonts and colors and, you know, treatments of images and stuff like that. And all that stuff is super valuable. But in the boardroom, if you go, oh, uh, I think it should be green, you know, like no one cares. No one cares. You have to justify it with some rationale. And really, the color scheme in terms of a CEO's mind is often way, way down the decisions they're trying to make, you know, which is what, what market segment are we going to go into? What? What, what's the value of this of this category, you know, and how are we going to how are we going to outmaneuver the competition and all this stuff? Like these are the big questions that the boardroom want answers to. And they need people like us to help articulate that and help them rally around some of their thinking. So what I'd say is read more um, and, you know, and, and basically try and try and understand uh, business at a higher level. And once you do that, the value you can then bring to your projects, the understanding um, it can become higher because you can help businesses solve bigger problems. And that's what strategy ultimately does. And as designers, I am passionately believe that we are in a position um, better than perhaps anyone else 
you know, with our training, with the way our brains think to really create those, uh, those kind of meaningful futures for people and help imagine them and help design then the processes to bring everybody with us uh, along the way. But it does take time. You have to throw yourself into the fire a few times. You get stung a couple of times. I've, I've been stung many times in the jungle along the way. And I'm sure you have as well, Stephen. Absolutely. Um, but, but never give up. Pick yourself up. Um, and just learn from it. I think there's an old Chinese proverb. I'm going to probably say this. I, I assume it's Chinese. I don't know why I assume that. I think I've read it somewhere. And it's kind of like you only make a mistake when you make a mistake twice, right? So, so first time you make a mistake, it's not a mistake if you learn from it is the lesson. So don't be afraid. Read. Don't be afraid. Go for it. That's what I say. Go for it, guys. You've got this. On that note, Sensei, thank you very much, Matt. It was an absolute pleasure, tons of value, and I've no doubt that uh, the listeners are going to get heaps from this. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you very much. And keep doing what you're doing with Brandmaster Academy. We need more people like you, Stephen, to help us designers you know, add the value that we know we can add. So thank you for all you do. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more brand strategy techniques to level up your skills, make sure you check out brandmasteracademy.com. There's plenty of free resources and premium content for you to download and get you going. If you'd like to join our Facebook group full of like-minded brand strategists all learning from each other, then find us by searching for the Brand Strategy Community where you can find exclusive content for members as well. If you enjoyed this content, please be sure to give us an honest review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listened. And make sure you tune in for the next episode of the Brand Master Podcast.